The following podcast is a production of Commercial Investment Real Estate Magazine, the official publication of CCIM Institute. For more on the latest trends, best practices, and continuing education in all areas of the industry, visit our website at ccim.com and sign up for our education e-newsletter. Support for Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast comes from Remax Commercial. The Remax Commercial Global Network can help you adapt to changing markets, evolve with new technology, and maximize your investments across all property types. Go commercial with confidence. For more information, visit www.remaxcommercial.com. Welcome to another episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. I'm Nicholas Leiter, Senior Content Editor of the magazine. In this episode, I spoke with Nancy Glick, COO of Newmark Associates and co-founder of the Commercial Real Estate Supplier Diversity Alliance. She details why such an initiative is vital to the future of CRE, what common obstacles pop up in DE&I efforts, and how the next generation of CRE professionals will change the industry. Glick also shares how COVID-19 has impacted distressed assets, one of her areas of expertise, including how commercial real estate practitioners can best approach potential deals in this sector. Nancy, first off, thanks so much for joining Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcasts, and welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Now, Cresta is a national alliance of minority women and veteran-owned commercial real estate firms that aims to diversify the supply chains of Fortune 500 companies. As you being the, the founder and CEO, can you detail the process of kind of how this initiative came together and how you launched it? Sure, absolutely. Um the the process for me really started over 10 years ago. Um, I have a partner in a New Jersey-based commercial real estate brokerage firm, Newmark Associates, and she and I chose to become certified over 10 years ago. That business has been in existence for over 35 years. And we never really wanted to compete just on the basis of being women. <laughs> so we didn't kind of delve into that arena, but about 10 years ago, we noticed that there certainly was an opportunity there um, for us, and we decided to become certified. And that was a process in and of itself, and I chose to kind of take this on for our company, and I began to navigate this world of diversity and inclusion, and I saw firsthand the challenges of getting a foot in the door, because it all seemed very um, you know, it seemed very straightforward, but when it actually came down to it and working with these companies and the different levels that you need to go through to actually, you know, work with one of these companies it is really a process. So although the commercial real estate injury industry has become more receptive in recent years in this regard, there's still a long way to go. But that was, that was the um, initiative for me to start this because I, I did work as a company that is now an affiliate of Cresda, my New Jersey company, and I saw that there were a lot of challenges. So this is an effort to unite companies and to be a united front to um, approach this business. Yeah, and, and CCM Institute, you know, we have our, our um, initiatives to, to diversify the industry, but kind of in the most basic sense, you know, what about our current situation you know, makes an organization like Cresden necessary? Sure. Um, well, I think in general, it's not just the, the situation in our industry. It's obviously a global situation. Um, and 
across that board, we have all become more aware that we want to promote minorities, women-owned businesses, and give them opportunities and the visibility. So I, I think this falls right into that category. This is about uniting and giving companies that, and I can't tell you, from launching this in the end of last year, the amount of companies that have come forward directly to Cresda to become members and to want to be a part of this initiative, it has really been um, kind of mind-blowing to me. And I get that there, and the capability and the qualifications of these companies and the experience and expertise is phenomenal, but they have not been able to get to the next level with some of these companies, even though the, the, initiatives are in place and the mandates are in place, it's been very difficult. So I think that it, it's really shown me firsthand that it is 100% necessary. And being a united front is is really what this is all about. Yeah. And, and working with these companies, and it, as a side note, it's, it, it's really encouraging to hear that you're getting people coming to you versus the other way. And um, when, when companies approach you, what kind of, um, kind of nuts and bolts steps do you do you encourage them to take or, or, or kind of offer them or, you know, to help them kind of move in the direction that you want them to be in? Well, to become a part of Cresda, they need to, um, first of all, be certified either as a woman owned company or a minority owned company. They need to have a strong capability statement. We do go into a lot of financial information um, and they need to, be able to show that they're qualified to be able to work in this arena. So we have a very strict process of vetting these companies to make sure that they're certified, capable, and qualified to be working on these accounts. So that that's really the beginning of that process. And once they do that and they and they reach, you know, that they they've gone through this whole process with Cresta, then they're right then and there, they're really taking the steps needed to um to work with these companies. It's encouraging that there seems to be a willingness to promote DEI initiatives, but what are some common obstacles you're seeing in the industry to these efforts? Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, traditionally many of these companies look to departments such as marketing, distribution, direct sales to meet their supplier diversity spend. Um, and as these companies now are increasing their spends, many of these companies have committed to spend over a billion dollars annually in diversify, in diversifying their supply chains, which is remarkable. I mean, certainly to be commended. And I think because of that expanded spend base, we are now seeing companies looking to professional services. So not just brokerage, looking to maybe their accounting departments, their, you know, legal departments. And, and we're finally seeing that logjam open up. And probably about two or three years ago, through my New Jersey-based company, Newmark Associates, we started seeing some of these companies come to us for commercial real estate brokerage. Um, and that was amazing. And that's kind of where I said, you know what, my partner and I discussed it, and this would be great to help other women and minority owned firms kind of get to the level we were seeing. And a lot of this, the formation of Cresta and working with Cresta is really about giving back to that community of uh, minority and women owned firms. 
Yeah, you mentioned giving back and, and obviously networking. Uh, everybody in CRE understands the importance of networking. Um, how important is it to kind of build that support structure where, where if you're a minority-owned, women-owned, veteran-owned company, just to know that you have support out there that other people are kind of going, experiencing the things, same things you're experiencing? Yeah, I think it's critical. And, you know, not just in this industry, but really in every industry. And I think, interestingly enough, COVID really highlighted that for all of us, because once we could not connect in the traditional ways that we were used to, we really had, everyone had to get creative and write the Zoom calls and the meetings and the um, to do everything virtually. But it really highlighted how critical it was to stay connected. Um, and certainly seeing the same in the commercial real estate industry. Yeah. And you mentioned that these, um, the buy-in from a lot of companies seems to be, um, moving from, you know, diversity is a nice buzzword that sounds good when you're, when you're talking to clients, but it seems to be becoming much more central to the identity of, of some CRE companies. You know, can you explain how that shift happened or kind of the, what facilitated you know, people people taking on DEI initiatives in much more earnest. Yeah. So, and I think what's interesting and and what I've come to to actually appreciate is that many companies, you know, the DEI. So, a big part of that is inclusion, right? And we see companies jumping on that bandwagon and hiring minorities and women, and which is all great. We've seen less in working that into supply chain. So a little, and now we're seeing more of a shift to that. So I think in general, that shift is what is what we're seeing open up and have more opportunities for minority and women-owned businesses. Yeah. And is it, is it a matter of just kind of things going downstream where, where if you're, if you're, you know, using DEI initiatives in-house that only, it only, is a matter of time before you kind of look else or you look outwardly? Yeah, you know, it's confusing for a lot of people because we use that buzzword, DEI. Um, it's really two separate realms, both of them equally as important, but inclusion is very important, of course, but this is equally as important because, you know, when you think about these major corporations, they're forming these initiatives and mandates because they want their supply chains to look like their customer base. That's really what's behind this. And that's critical for these companies. You know, it's, it's the people like you and me and all of us that are buying products from these companies and using these companies, whether it's Johnson & Johnson or Microsoft or, right? We're their customer base. And wanting to have their supply chain mimic their customer base is really, you know, I think important. And that's what we're really seeing now is that shift to um, diversifying the, the supply chains. Yeah. And not to, you know, not to, to turn everything into a, a matter of, of dollars and cents, but um, are you seeing people you're working with kind of understand that, that these initiatives are, are great on just a moral, you know, standing that, you know, diversity and, and inclusion are important things, but, they also kind of make sense on the bottom line that having, like you said, having your supply chain match your customers is is a great thing to have. Oh, absolutely. And I would say um, these corporations all have um, supplier diversity 
departments now. Um, and I work directly with many of the heads of these departments. And I think they would tell you firsthand that, you know, it definitely ignores uh, to the bottom line to be kind of spreading it out and uh, spreading the wealth a little bit. Of course, it ignores to the bottom line. It has to. In your work as CEO of Newmark, um, you've hired and trained many agents. Um, you know, what lessons have you learned from working with, you know, the quote unquote next generation of our industry? Mm, yeah, that that's another area that I've been very active in. Um, first, I could say the enthusiasm and energy I get from working with that next generation is is remarkable. I love it. And it, it's one of the things that, that I do that I feel gives back in a different way to help kind of get a leg up and get them into the industry because it, it, it's not an easy industry to break into. So, um, in a, you know, what I would say, particularly what I've learned from a lot of the, and I probably trained 25 to 30 agents, uh, in the past 10 years or so. And particularly what I get from them is kind of that skill set, that, that technology-based skill set. And that's a whole shift in the industry that we've seen. And they're just so easily adaptable to those changes. And it makes a difference with what we were talking about before, networking, connecting. Because in the, bo- in the, in the end of the day, this is a relationship-based business, right? And you need to be able to make those connections and they know how to do it differently and really to, you know, work, whether it's social media or virtual meetings or, or whatever it is, they really know how to take that on and use the technology to be effective. Yeah, it seems just kind of inherent in the the next generation that, you know, they've grown up in, in a world where these things were always available. Social media, um, you know, easy communication was always at their fingertips. Yeah. You know, even like the flow of information is so much more immediate and they can be on top of that, which is terrific. On the flip side, what do folks who have been in CRE for a while need to know about the next generation? I I think really what we just discussed is that the, that they need, yeah, we need to kind of up our game a little bit because you are going to miss the boat if you're not on top of gathering that immediate information. Um, you know, I have agents that go out now and, and they just do every single thing on their cell phone. They're, they pass a building, they're pulling up all the information immediately on that building, where before I'd have to go back to my computer, get onto CoStar, get onto LoopNet, whatever. They do it all now on their phone. So I think it's really just a matter of being, you know, for veterans, be receptive to that. Be Be receptive to working with this next generation and to kind of learning from them how easy it is to to get the information needed to make a transaction happen. Turning a bit to, to more hands-on work in commercial real estate, um, you have an extensive history in distressed asset sales. Um, how has COVID-19 with all the disruptions it's caused in the market, how has it affected hmm. the, the market? Okay, we're well, shifting gears here. Okay, let me think about that one a little bit. Um, yeah, it's been really very interesting because actually it has not been as disruptive as I think many people expected going into this. Um, very different than the aftermath of the market crash in 2008. We are seeing 
lenders, property owners, landlords, tenants, much more receptive to creative solutions, you know, where after 2008, it was right into litigation for bankruptcy and eviction. And uh, that was a, basically the way that all those properties went um, after the market crashed. This has been really different. We're seeing, you know, when I talk about being creative, restructuring leases, loan obligations, downsizing space, Everyone really kind of came together, particularly landlords and tenants, to work out issues rather than going right into uh, bankruptcy and foreclosure. So that, to me, I think is a fundamental difference. Was that, um, do you think the difference is because of the nature of the disruption or did they learn lessons from, from you know, a, a 14 years ago? Absolutely the nature of the disruption. I mean, the market did not fall out of the uh, out of the industry like it did. I mean, the bottom did not fall out of the industry as it did in two thousand eight. So, definitely a different, an entire, entirely different um, disruption. And and for our listeners who may not be experts in distressed assets, um, you know, what's one or two things they need to keep in mind if they come across a deal that that potentially involves a distressed asset? Well, I would say first and foremost, um, gather a group of professionals. I mean, particularly a commercial real estate broker, right? <laughs> uh, an attorney, an accountant. You need to have professionals that are well versed in in that area of commercial real estate, working with distressed assets, because there are so many nuances, and they'll help you to gather the information necessary, financial information, property specific information necessary to evaluate the deal. That's really what you need. I guess for a final question, moving back to to your work with Cresta, um, you know, if if things worked out as you plan and and you look down um, two three years down the road, you know, where where do you see that initiative? Where do you see Cresta in, in the midterm? Yeah, really great question um, because I think a lot about this, and I definitely I know for the for this immediate year by the end of this year. We would like to see that we have representation in all 50 states of the country and that we have a united front in that regard and that we are giving these companies visibility with uh, the Fortune 500 companies. So two, three years down the road, I would love to see that we have also, that Cresda has diversified into allowing, not as we discussed earlier, not just commercial real estate brokerage, but, um, you know, it can be... Uh, facilities management, other companies in commercial real estate, that part, other parts of the industry that also want to get a foot in the door, we can expand that base to be um, even a larger organization. So that's where I see it going. As we're close to the end of the first quarter of 2022, do you think a goal like being in all 50 states is still on the radar for the end of the year? Oh, oh, absolutely. Um, I think in the past two weeks, we've sent out 25 applications. So, you know, the challenge again is that companies need to be certified, capable, and qualified. What we're actually doing as a, as a, a service in Cresda, we are now, we have now taken on, because I've come across many companies that are capable and qualified, they didn't go the route of becoming certified because it is a process. Um, there are certain standards that you have to meet to be a certified women or minority owned company. And we're helping some of these companies to become certified now. Like we're explaining it to them, getting them in touch with the right people and the right organization so they can become certified more easily. So yeah, we're, like I said, we're seeing a, a tremendous 
um, amount of companies that are looking to become part of our group. Well, again, Nancy, I appreciate the time and and thank you for joining Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Nick, thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate your uh, the invitation. Thanks for listening to this episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast. Head to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Join us next month for a brand new episode of Commercial Investment Real Estate Podcast, featuring another leading figure from the world of commercial real estate.